Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle, it's a base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war! Friggin' ridiculous! Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No! Not the middle seat! Power your computer on and type in that embarrassing password of yours. Don't worry, I won't tell anyone. It's time for another episode of the Middle Seats Podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. I'm your host tonight, Mr. Andrew J. Let's meet the other users that are playing online tonight. He's capable of breaking the internet just with his smile, Mr. Nate Lungarini. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? I hope you're feeling extra clickbaity tonight because it's going to be a fun one. And he's still running on dial-up AOL. Mr. Jake Hensler, this one actually has a little bit of truth in it, it feels like. Actually, yeah, no, I I thought you were going to say something much worse, but this is actually very accurate. I can't even fight this one. Right. There's nothing you can do about it because we've all seen your technology. I still message people on AIM, so. Oh, God. God bless. Anyway. Uh, The Middle Seats Podcast is the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. Our show is typically divided into three segments. We start with kind of a general talk about a specific topic that one of the crew members picks. Then we talk about the biggest news of the week. There's some interesting topics to get into, and then we'll get into our feature review. This week, it's of Disney sequel, Ralph Breaks the Internet, alternatively known as Wreck-It Ralph 2, however you want to call it. But officially, it's Ralph Breaks the Internet, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But first, let's get into my lobby talk. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? I will blow up the block before you can make the lobby. So guys, it's another day and another Disney movie. I think this is like their 45th movie or something like that. Something in that range. But anyway, Disney movies have made their history a lot of the times based on making us laugh or making us cry. Or in the case of this Lobby Talk discussion, they've traumatized us with certain adult things that we've had to go through. So I'm not going to – I'm going to open it up past specifically – Disney movies. I'm going to talk about animated movies in general and the animated movies that we grew up with. As you were growing up, is there a specific movie that you can think of that traumatized you and left like such an indelible impression or you just completely blacked it out because it was so traumatizing in the first place? And you guys have had a little bit of time to think about this. Very interested to hear what kind of comparable experiences we had growing up where animated movies, quite frankly, just scared the pants off of us. Um, So without further ado, Nate, let's start with you. All right, so I don't know how you managed to scare me after October, but here I go, going through old movie clips, trying to figure out what traumatized poor little Nate and turned him into such a wuss and a scaredy cat. Right, this is a deeper cut than the horror movies, too. This is, like, fundamentally Mm -hmm. shaped you. (laughs) So, on the plus side, I did realize that most of my childhood traumas were live-action movies, so luckily I don't need to talk about them here. Same. (laughs) (laughs) However... There's definitely one that stands out to me, and that's Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Now, just to refresh you, if this sounds familiar but you don't quite remember, the premise of this one was that unlike all of the classic Scooby-Doo episodes, the monsters were real. And, like, Zombie Island, so obviously there's going to be some undead on the island. But that isn't what got me. What got me was the weird were cat people that show up at the very end of the movie. 
and like all Scooby-Doo episodes follow the same theme of, oh, you probably shouldn't trust all adults who say to trust them because they could be trying to scam you. And like you unreal the mask at the end and oh, the monster was really a human all along, you know? Yeah. That's like a healthy dose of realism in a funny cartoon. This movie said, you know what? Let's not make it more funny. Let's make it primarily scary. And to top it all off, the authority figures that you grow to trust not only end up being werecat people, but also have like these weird voodoo dolls that completely prevent the main characters from moving. So the finale ends in like this creepy dungeon and you see the weird blonde haired lady turn on screen into this terrifying cat monster and all of the other characters are literally strapped to walls because of dark magic. And it's one of those things like, what the heck am I supposed to do in this scenario? There's nothing you could do. I'm dead. And that was terrifying. And Nate out loud went, zoinks. (laughs) I actually don't really remember Zombie Island all that well. I definitely watched it. I was a big Scooby-Doo fan when I was, you know, when we were that age. I liked Scooby-Doo a lot, but I don't remember Zombie Island that well, actually. Right, and your description of it makes it feel like maybe I blocked it out because that sounds horrifying. That was a deep analysis of that, too. (laughs) Like, oh, man, never trust adult authority figures again or trust them because they'll kill you. You know, like, like, oh, God. And, like, all of that subtext combined with the really honestly terrifying transformation turning into, like, this weird fanged monster is just, like, icing on the cake. Her her face just twists in very unnatural means, like... No, didn't like it. Didn't like it now. <laughs> yeah, Nate, you really went to the well there. You went to like like deformity and like not trusting adults and how to handle situations. Like I don't your pick is definitely better than mine. Jake, maybe this is step twelve for him in the acceptance where he <laughs> kind of has finally gotten over it and now he can move on with his life. <laughs> well, I have alcohol now, so that's a little well, bit better. <laughs> happy to help. Right. Uh Jake, what's your pick? Um, so kind of like Nate, I was more scared of live action stuff. So actually the the big one for me, I was really scared of the Green Goblin when Spider-Man came out. Um, yeah. Obviously, we talked about Jurassic Park because I saw it when I was like three. Um, animated movies didn't get me as much, but as we scroll through clips, like Nate said, I came across a movie that I hardly even remember called The Brave Little Toaster. And guys, this is not a kid's movie. I don't care what anybody says. It's just not. If anybody remembers The Brave Little Toaster, or if you want to go back and try to remember it, you will realize it's not a movie for kids. It just can't be. Um, and a specific clip, there were two. There's one where an air conditioner just loses its mind and freaks out at the Brave Little Toaster and Friends and explodes, which is pretty crazy. But the one I want to talk about is a scene with a blender where the guy's looking for spare parts to sell. And the blender is alive in this movie. The adults don't know, but the, the fellow machines know and appliances know. So the human like puts this blender in a crank kind of thing and he like... So he like squeezes it and tightens it real tight and he rips its plug off and he like takes a screwdriver. But the camera doesn't just show you what's happening. It shows like the shadow of the human taking the screwdriver and plunging it into the blender. And then when it's all said and done, he packs up its motor to sell it. And there's like oil dripping as if it was blood. And it's like, like, I can't believe that made it to, to the final cut. Like it wasn't on the cutting board. It made it out and was released as a kid's movie. Right. Who was it applying to? Who was that for? That's not for me. I don't want to see that now, and I'm 23. Yeah, I don't want to see that as a kid. It's messed up. There was another movie that kind of made its bread and butter off of that kind of, you know, 
bodily harm to inanimate objects, and it was called Sausage Party, and it was rated R. Like, right. <laughs> it's, it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And th- this was, like, the animation's, like, fun and goofy and obviously very old. But, like, it's really a pretty, like, messed up kids movie. There's another one where, like, cars talk about how they're worthless in the junkyard. Like, what is this movie for? Yeah. This movie, I definitely remember little pieces of it. And <laughs> these particular scenes, upon rewatch, I think the worst part about them is how much they drag on. Yeah. Yeah. There is detail. The air conditioner screams in, like, red rage face for, like, two minutes. Right. It's its own set piece. Like, <laughs> And the whole disassembly of the blender is, like, straight out of a serial killer movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I could totally see, like, Buffalo Bill taking yeah, notes from exactly. this guy, <laughs> taking apart a blender. Exactly. Yeah, they're so detailed and, like, unnecessarily so. Right. Ugh. My main my main exposure to Brave Little Toaster, it was in, like, a horrible setting all the time. Like, when I was six or seven, we would go to this barber and they would have movies on at the barber. That was a frequent VHS that was put in to the machine so you could watch it on your TV while you're getting your hair cut. So you can't move and you can't look away <laughs> as these scenes are going on. And I feel like I every time I was there, it was the air conditioning scene. I didn't remember the blender scene as much as, like, you had to refresh my memory. But the first thing I thought of when you brought up Ray Little Toaster was that air conditioning scene. He loses his mind and just explodes. He does. He is like an angry anger management thing. Oh, my God. What a terrible movie. Right. <laughs> and meanwhile, Andrew is like, there's like scissors right next to his head as he's watching an air conditioner implode. Right. You can't squirm. Poor you can't Andrew. do anything like that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Moving on from Brave Little Toaster, let's move into a more... This is definitely one that everybody has seen, and I think this is just one that came to the top of my mind when I first thought of it because when you're a kid, you're more trusting, I would say. You're not, like, so cynical. So when you see a trailer for a movie, you trust the marketing. You trust what you're getting yourself into, even though a lot of the time the marketing will withhold some of the bigger points of the film. Kangaroo Jack. Oh, that was one of the first don't trust the marketing moments (laughs) of my life. That's a whole separate topic, though. Um (laughs) But Finding Nemo, I mean, what a phenomenal movie. Still one of my favorite movies ever. And I'm not saying this scene is bad or anything like that. But you don't go into that movie and expect in the first five minutes for the main character's wife to be eaten and for most of his kids as well. That's very true. You don't go into that movie expecting that. And this is something Pixar has been doing for years. And now we're wise to it. Like we go into Up and it's like, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, miscarriage. Okay. Death. Sure. Why not? Toy Story 3, oh, they're all confronting their mortality as they look straight into an incinerator and the fiery pits of hell. Okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> Even Lion King. Mufasa. Yeah, like, I mean, Lion King was another good example of that, but Finding Nemo, I saw on a big screen. And Finding Nemo was a movie that I was looking forward to. I couldn't look forward to Lion King because it came out before my lifetime. Yeah, right before us. Right before us. But Nemo smacked me in the face with... Bold, dark, traumatizing storytelling. And I mean, it's the perfect opening for the movie. I'm not trying to argue that it's not a good opening for the film because it completely sets everything up really well. But man, as a kid, that was heavy. Yeah, no, I actually actually do remember that. That's a good pick. I remember that. That takes you off guard, yeah. Like, there's a reason they introduce Dory as soon as they can to (laughs) distract you from the traumatizing thing you just saw. (laughs) Finding Nemo really is a wonderful movie, though. It's it's so good. If we're talking other things that intimidated me in Finding Nemo, I mean, that was the that was the big traumatizing thing. But Bruce, like the shark, is kind of yeah. creepy. Uh, and then the barracuda that they run into later, 
Or the angelfish, I should say, like in the dark. No, angler. Angler fish. Yeah, with the big light on it. You know what I mean? Um, they that movie doesn't skirt away from danger, and it's rated G. So it's rated G. Wow, really? With that yeah. opening? I feel like everything's made rated PG now. For Incredibles kids. was Pixar's first PG, and it came out the next year. Yeah, that movie's wow. G. Wow. Right? That's like, pretty. That, that's that's pretty crazy, isn't it? That's something. Could you imagine a three-year-old? There must have been some toddlers like not being able to handle that. No, definitely not. Well, everybody has their own unique experiences. Do you have a traumatizing movie experience off the top of your head, an animated movie that you saw that was like, yeah, that probably was really effective on me at a young age? Please let us know. Email us. Comment. Subscribe. Let us know. Um, That'll do it for Lobby Talk. Let's move into our news segment. And this just in, a news break special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. So, guys, it's that time of year again. The Golden Globes are back to sometimes embarrass themselves, sometimes get celebrities drunk. To piss Andrew off. Yeah. I was too busy today to be enraged by anything that I saw. And basically what I saw from the nominations, which were given out uh, the morning of when we're recording this, it didn't make me super upset. Uh, Let's just get into them right now. I'll just go down really quick what's nominated for the big ones. Uh, Best Motion Picture Drama, Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, If Beale Street Could Talk, and A Star Is Born. And then Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy, Crazy Rich Asians. That was a little bit of a surprise for me. The Favorite, Green Book, Mary Poppins, and Vice. Vice led all movies with six nominations. Christian Bale was nominated. Amy Adams was nominated. Sam Rockwell. The Favorite was nominated five times, I believe. There was another one that was, I think Green Book got a bunch of nominations. But you guys, I mean, like, we talked last year in pretty significant in depth of how they kind of miscategorize things and the whole voting system of the Golden Globes is a bit of a joke. If you don't know, it's like 80 people, 80 foreign press association people voting on these seemingly major awards when the Academy, like thousands vote on it. It's a small sample size is the point. And they often try to bring in some big names. They'll nominate big people so that they show up to the award show and they don't have like lesser people there. Um, but I'm interested, like, what do you guys think generally of, based on the movies that you've seen, generally, what do you think of the nominations? And is there anything that was weird that stood out to you? Uh, Jake, let's start with you. Um, well, I was on my, on my way to work this morning and I heard uh, a rock station talking about Bohemian Rhapsody, Remy Malik, and it's a pretty popular thing for them to talk about. So I just assumed it was that again. And they were like, oh, Lady Gaga got nominated or Star is Born got a lot. And I was like, wait, what are they talking about? And I was like, the, the Golden Globe nominations come out today? I follow movies we obviously follow movies pretty in depth and i had no idea they were coming out today so that should tell you a little bit about the golden globes but um i feel like a lot of the movies this year a lot of the like the big oscar contenders are indie films and i've missed a lot of them this year truthfully so far so it's just i don't know i feel the golden globes this year are kind of like uh what are the audience like black panther duh and it was good so we'll give that to them a star is born everybody liked that and it was good give that to them bohemian rhapsody Everybody saw it and got nominated. Like, it's just, I don't know, not a whole lot of surprises there. Like you said, Chris, Crazy Rich Asians was surprising. Uh, Vice, I can't say because I nobody's really seen it yet other than select few. Um, Black Clansman actually kind of surprised me. I know it got some buzz when it first came out, but I didn't think the buzz lasted that long. So I was surprised that that got a nomination. Other than that, I feel like it's a lot of, other than A Star is Born and Black Panther, there's a good amount of stuff that I just haven't seen yet. Right. Nate, anything that stood out to you? I just think it's kind of funny how how much the best picture category for drama and musical slash comedy feels like it could flip-flop. Yeah. Because you have 
so many musically focused ones in the drama category oh, this yeah. time around with Bohemian Rhapsody and A Star is Born. And on that note, I feel like Black Panther and Black Klansman could both easily go more into the comedy category than the drama category. You know, that's an excellent point. I didn't even think of that. But I think the only drama that definitely should be a drama is if Beale Street could talk. Which I haven't <laughs> <Yes>. seen. <laughs> absolutely. I don't think any of us have seen it. But if the marketing's accurate, that's going to be the most serious drama out of all of these. Um, but everything else just can blend together. And yeah. goes to show, once again, like my professional opinion here that their best picture category either needs to come up with harder guidelines as to what is a drama and what is a musical or comedy or just combine it into one and just make a best yeah, picture like, category. Why would you have Bohemian Rhapsody and A Star is Born not in the musical section? That's actually blowing my mind right now now that I'm thinking yeah, about that. I, like A Star I, is Born is literally – it's pretty much a musical. <laughs> right. I feel like Crazy Rich Asians – can win on the comedy aspect and Mary Poppins Returns can win on the musical aspect out of the five in that group. But you throw Stars Born in there and I feel like that wins. Right, <laughs> right yeah, yeah. It's just like, why they decide to go with this method of competition? I don't know. Maybe they're adopting the, the Oscars popular category just as a whole for their whole, their whole show. <laughs> right. I'm wondering as far as like, we're talking about the popular stuff, like do movies like Black Panther and Crazy Rich Asians and Mary Poppins Return actually have a shot to get a nomination for Best Picture. I think Black Panther's got the momentum to do it. Yeah. You know, when we get to the actual awards show. But I don't think this is... We're just talking nominations? We're just talking nominations. I don't think Black... It's not going to win anything, but yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. Black Panther, I think, has the momentum going forward to secure that Best Picture nomination. And, mm-hmm. and like, we talked about it. We alluded to it a couple of months ago, but we never... Any of us really thought that it would come to this point where it would still be deep in the awards game. I was kind of surprised that Wonder Woman didn't get one because that had a ton of momentum, but I'm wondering if the Oscar's going to be like, yeah, maybe Wonder Woman, maybe people wanted that one and we missed it, so we'll give it to Black Panther this year. Right. Remember how thrilled we were when Logan got like a screenplay nomination? Yeah. Like that was incredible yeah. that like the Oscars went out and did that. But again, I think it's indicative that we're talking already looking ahead to the Oscars and kind of skipping over what the Golden Globes are doing. Yep, there we go. <laughs> um, I will give them kudos for a couple things. I really like that they nominated Elsie Fisher for eighth grade. I wish the movie itself got more recognition, but she's she's phenomenal in that movie and she deserves every piece of accolades that she gets. Uh, just looking down the list, Melissa McCarthy's in there for Can You Ever Forgive Me? That's pretty good. The Favorite got a lot of nominations. The Favorite, I think, will be there towards the end of the year. I, I like It's hard right now. It's still a little too early to tell who the main Best Picture people are going to be. And, and the Golden Globes doesn't often give us clarity, but I think it's clear that The Favorite will be in the race. Green Book will be in the race. Um, a Star is Born will be there. Black Panther will be there nomination-wise. And then after that, like, there's a bunch of other people jockeying. I think it's a, it's a weird year. Yeah. We'll, we'll find out who wins the Golden Globes when they happen on January 5th or 6th. They have very weird hosts this year. It's the combination of Andy Samberg and Sandra Oh. Like, Grey's Anatomy Sandra Oh. Like, hmm. right? Like, you could not pick two more random people. Yeah, one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> yeah. Let's <laughs> shift gears a little bit. Get away from award shows. Uh, let's move from 2018. Let's pivot towards 2019 and talk about the streaming wars that are coming our way. Uh, it's something we've been alluding to and talking about kind of for a couple of months now. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon are all about to have a new challenger throw its hat into the ring, and that is Disney+. Plus. 
who are going to be premiering original Star Wars content and original Marvel content. And it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a direct challenge. So Netflix this week, a report came out that they are protecting one of their most prized assets, which are shows that are being watched and consumed vigorously in reruns. And when you think of Netflix and chill, one of the top shows that you think about is Friends. And Friends is a big one. There was a lot of rumors that they might be losing Friends. Well, they will not be losing Friends. And the price they paid to keep it is $100 million. That is a significant increase from what they were paying to have the license to show Friends on their streaming service before. But it caused a lot of buzz the last couple of days, just hearing that price tag, hearing that Friends will stay. Was this a move Netflix had to make, I think, is my main question. Especially, and does this show that they're kind of trying to prepare for the challenge that Disney is going to bring them. Jake, what do you think? Um, so I think it's, I know there's a lot of backlash and a lot of people are kind of mad about it, but I think for Netflix is probably pretty smart because Friends is one of the, I would imagine, I don't know their numbers, but I would imagine Friends is one of the most popular shows on Netflix. I watch it, I finished it all 10 seasons like last year, and I still watch it semi-frequently when I just need something to throw on like aimlessly or like mindlessly when I don't really need to focus on anything because it still makes me laugh. It's a comedy that I still enjoy and it's relatable and it's funny and I I just always find myself enjoying it. So I am one of those I'm one of those people who still watches Friends a lot and all you people listening can make fun of me. But I think there's a lot of those. A lot of people like to turn on Friends, The Office, Parks and Rec, things like that to just keep themselves laughing and keep themselves kind of mindless when they need something to just throw on in the background. So I think if they lost Friends it would be a pretty big hit for them. And I think even though 100 million dollars sounds like a lot to us, I don't know if it's a ton of money for Netflix. So it's probably a pretty good move on their part overall. Nate, are you a big Friends guy? I know I knew Jake was, but are you? <laughs> uh, if it's on, I'll watch it, but it's not one of those things I actively put on. I would have much rather they brought Futurama back, but that's just me. Uh, yeah, that's my own personal. I know, Nate, I know. <laughs> <sighs> I miss that. Anyway, uh, back to Friends. Um, it's a necessary evil, but it wasn't pulling teeth for Netflix. Like, they had to pay up a little bit more to keep it on the streaming service but it's it's definitely worth it like going to the dentist you get a get a little teeth cleaning and you carry on with the rest of your year or half year whenever you're supposed to see the dentist (laughs) Um, so it's a major series i think jake hit all those big highlights right on you got friends the office parks and rec is like your go-to just throw in an episode and go um now you expand the Animated library a little bit more. Futurama. Is Bob's Burgers still on? Or did they take that off too? Nope. I think they took it off. See? Gotta get those back. There's only select family guys now. South Park's gone. Ugh, it's a shame. Yeah, Netflix is gonna be treading water for a little bit. Just because they can't sustain on their originals as is. They just don't have enough good content that people are interested in seeing. Um, And people like safe shows that they know and can turn on on a whim and that's friends right i think there's a value in the safe shows part and nostalgia uh i'm sure friend i don't have the numbers in front of me but i'm sure friends is one of the top syndicated shows ever you're absolutely right it's a show that you put on and you can watch at any time you can pick up any episode uh and there is a value to that you know the the phrase netflix and chill doesn't come from watching schindler's list it comes from watching like lighter fare stuff like that yep and that's a crucial part of Netflix's brand that they just need to protect. So I think there is no price tag. Like if, if the next offer is up to like $150 million, 
um, I'd pay it just for to keep that library of content on there just because it's so important that they're keeping as many eyeballs as possible and reminding people why they like Netflix in the first place and are, shouldn't give their money to anybody else um, because Disney Plus is going to be challenging with some huge content coming up probably in the later half of 2019. Again, this is a developing story we've been tracking. Uh, is Friends a big reason why you still have Netflix? What do you think of the Golden Globe nominations? Let us know what you think about any of these news stories on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, MySpace, whatever. I just listed a bunch of social media sites, and social media is a big part of our feature review tonight. Let's get into our review of Ralph Breaks the Internet. One second, I'm having the time of my life. The next thing I know, my game is just... Jim. Gone. Oh no, I'm freaking out hard. If I'm not a racer, what am I? Oh, you're my best friend. All we gotta do is find a part to fix your game. But where are we gonna find that? The internet! What? Housewives want to meet you. They do. Want to get rich playing video games? Slaughter race. It's wicked dangerous. Who knew there's so many babies and cats in the world? Ha, that is what the internet was made for. <laughs> Ralph breaks the internet is the sequel to 2012's Wreck It Ralph. Uh, it comes six years later. And it's been roughly six years in movie universe since the original Wreck-It Ralph, the events of that movie happened. Ralph shed the stereotype of video game villain in that movie. The original Wreck-It Ralph took him across several different games, a journey of self-worth and friendship. He spent most of his time hanging out with Vanellope, who's another misfit. Uh, Ralph is voiced by John C. Riley. Of course, Vanellope voiced by Sarah Silverman. She is the top player in her racing game, Sugar Rush. She also has a glitch. Um, so they kind of were like the new Disney unlikely duo. A series of circumstances that are at least partially Ralph's fault leaves Sugar Rush in jeopardy. Basically, the characters of Sugar Rush are homeless, the game needs a new part, and the best place to find that part is on the internet. Via the arcade's brand new Wi-Fi server, which I guess they didn't have Wi-Fi before, Ralph and Vanellope take their adventures to the internet to try to find that part so Vanellope's game isn't shut down and all of her friends aren't left homeless. So guys, I really love the original Wreck-It Ralph. I think it's such a creative, sweet Disney adventure. I was looking forward to it, and I still liked it a lot more than I even was expecting. So Ralph Breaks the Internet had a lot of expectations with me, and I was very excited to see what they would do with the further adventures of Ralph and Vanellope and Fix-It, Felix, and everybody. Guys, I guess, what's your relationship with the original Wreck-It Ralph, and what did you think of its sequel? Nate, let's start with you. Sure. I really enjoy the first Wreck-It Ralph. It's a pretty darn good movie. It's a very creative movie, uh, and it has a lot of heart. You will grow to love the protagonist and Ralph. Penelope's really fun, um, and all the side characters just have a whole lot of humor. And when you dress the entire thing with video game references, I was I was get always going to be on board for that one. Uh, so I really enjoyed the original Wreck-It Ralph. So this one definitely takes the franchise, if you will, being all of two movies in a different direction where we start with Ralph and Penelope having a very solid relationship and instead of all the video game puns you have all of these internet based puns and 
it's it just feels like a very different movie from the first one in my opinion and i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing but there's definitely a lot more a lot more of this movie that can almost feel dated already just because the internet moves so much faster when you start in the arcade in the original movie it's not dated because you're already focusing on the retro version of all these games so it just has a very different feel i would say um but overall i enjoyed it some really funny humor in a much better way than the emoji movie did earlier last year oh god i was really hoping you wouldn't bring that up flashbacks little ptsd on that right it's a good comparison though i mean it makes sense (laughs) yeah it it uses the same references but this movie definitely has a better sense on what its audience is and can appeal to all sides of the spectrum like the adults in the audience and the kids in the audience so yeah to summarize all my little rambling together it's a worthy sequel but a very different sequel Go ahead, Jake. What did you think of the original? What do you think of this one? Me and Nate are on similar boats uh, lately, or pages, rather. Uh, I don't know why I said boats. Um, boats or pages, <laughs> same thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I said boats first. Um, in the same boat, I guess. Anyway, yeah, no, I I really, really, really like the first one a lot. It's not quite a royal throne, but it's one of those high-end plush recliners, and I think it's one of those animated movies that doesn't get talked about as much as it should. I'm not going to go down listing the famous animated movies, but I think Wreck-It Ralph should get more recognition than it does. Like, Nate's a very creative, very fun, uh, well-structured, a lot of heart, good for all audiences, young and old. The newer one is is also pretty good, but just, I feel like it was just kind of missing something. Um, it's still it's still definitely creative. Uh, it's still got its, its fun moments. I feel like the, the structure is just a little bit off. It's not quite as well thought out. And there's just something kind of missing to it. It doesn't have the same, I don't know, passion behind it, maybe. It's kind of tough to pinpoint, but... Still good, um, still worth seeing for sure, but not quite as up to par or a little below expectations. Right, and I think it's a big part for me because I, I pretty much agree with everything you guys have said so far, so I'm not going to repeat it. It's a good movie. It's, it is. I liked it quite a bit. I liked it a lot. Um, I love the original, and I did not love this movie, but I think it's still a really, really, really good sequel. But you're right. There is a little bit off, and I think you, you kind of nailed it with the – it is not as well developed or thought out. It doesn't seem to have the most detailed, nuanced understanding of the internet. Whereas it felt like the original Wreck It Ralph loved video games and, you know, loved the idea of video games and all the little inside references and quirks to them. This feels more like kind of like an internet for dummies, introduction to the internet for like the little kids. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that because it often leads to some very funny sight gags and some puns and. A lot of references and some really gorgeous animation. Mm-hmm. But I think the movie really excels again because it it's very different from the first movie, but it's very similar at the same time because it puts the relationship between Ralph and Vanellope at the center, and it does some really interesting stuff with that in my opinion. And we can get more into those themes as we get further into the review, but I think – that emotional core is what saved it for me, and I, it made me enjoy the movie quite a bit overall. Um, it's not perfect; it certainly isn't, but it's not as good as the original. But I think I think it's worthy. You know what I mean? It's not like it's not mm-hmm. a huge step down. Um, what really helped it or elevated it, more or less for me, was its its message at the end, which we'll talk about in spoilers, obviously. But I really liked me too where they went with it at the end. Um, execution versus message, we'll talk about more in detail, but. It's overall message that was really strong and actually really important. It's a different kind of message than I feel like we've seen in a, in a while. 
In a way, it's one of the most mature movies that Disney Animation has come out with a lot. Absolutely. Long time. It's, yeah. it's not the sort of thing that I would feel like a kid, especially like elementary school age, would need to know at that age. Right. But um, it's one that a lot of older audiences going to see this one could learn from. So I, I, li- I liked what you were talking about there, Drew, with the core between Ralph and Penelope, because um, it's, it's a very nuanced relationship. It starts out throwing them into this alien situation where they're used to video game rules and the internet just works in such a different way. And Penelope catches on much, much quicker than Ralph. Reminded me a lot of a younger generation growing up with the internet compared to their parents or maybe even older siblings who hadn't grown up the same way. Uh, it led to a lot of funny moments, especially when you get into the slaughter race game and the the Disney scene. And we, we can go on and on about the Disney right. scene. There's so many references yeah. in there. Let me just run down really quickly with like where the different places they end up. They end up going. I mean, the, and these are non-spoiler. These are all in the trailer where they end up, like you said, it's slaughter race where they meet the main racer, Shank, played by Gal Gadot. And they kind of have Vanellope and her have a relationship. And, of course, they end up meeting the main algorithm of the, like, YouTube knockoff uh, voiced by Taraji P. Henson. And that leads to a whole viral video thing. Um, There's some spam sites that they go to. J.P. Spamly, voiced by Bill Hader. Uh, So these are just different characters in different corners of the internet they end up. And, of course, they meet all the Disney princesses and a couple of pivotal scenes voiced by all the living original voice actors. And just like little touches like that, that's where Disney's IP mania just like allows them to go crazy. And that leads to some of the more clever sight gags in the film, I think, because they're able to dwell on like they can throw stormtroopers in this shot. They can throw Eeyore in this shot. Just like small little Easter eggs like that just make the thing like what might be more mundane scenes in a movie like the Emoji movie. It makes them pop more. You know what I mean? But – The movie avoids the trapping of a movie that sucks like the Emoji movie because it keeps the focus on the story and the central message. And that's key because this movie really could have tripped up if they didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like the first one tackled that really well too. I agree. They could have just been throwing video game reference, video game reference over and over again. But instead of doing that, they always kept the gags a little bit more subtle. Like that happens because video game logic it's just going to be accepted and we're going to move on with the plot as necessary. And this movie, for the most part, did a lot of that. I feel like when we first drop into the internet, there's a lot of the simple gags yeah. that almost any movie could come up with. But as we get a little bit more into it and it gets a little bit more into the meta humor of the situation, um, especially when Ralph starts doing his viral video phase, um, at least a lot of fun moments that correctly meshes the video game origins of the movie with internet humor combined with Disney's IP to just make a nice little mesh. Yeah. Um, I think it starts a little slow and it ends a little eh, but I think the middle section is where it really hits stride like you were talking about, Nate. And obviously I can't get into what I don't like about the beginning and the end until we get into spoilers. Um, we're almost getting to that point where I think we should transition into spoilers. But Jake, let, I'm going to give you an open floor. What is there anything specifically you want to talk about before we start? <laughs> I was going to say you guys are pretty much uh, echoing whatever I would say, so I'm not like butting in or I'm not overly eager to speak up because I, I kind of feel the same way. I think they like the first one focuses on Ralph a lot. This one they balance each other out pretty well, which is a cool, right. nice kind of change of pace. It feels a lot more like Vanellope's movie. 
Yes, definitely. Yeah, like her her journey, but with plenty of Ralph in between. Right. Um, and there are some good fun gags. Um, and I agree, the middle is probably the strongest. The princesses were funny. Um, but yeah, overall, like nothing, nothing glaring that I really wanted to point out that you guys weren't already saying. Right. Well, I'll give you the floor first for ratings. Let me just go over what they are. If you're just joining us for the first time, we rate movies on the seat scale here on the Middle Seeds podcast. If it's a movie we think that is very close to like no flaws at all or is perfectly flawless, we give it a royal throne. If it's a movie we think is really, really good, has some minor things that we wish it did without, but overall is great, we give it a plush recliner. If it's a movie that's really solid but has some significant flaws or it's just something we didn't fall in love with, we give it a wooden seat. If it's a movie that, you know, like has some significant problems with it, but there are a couple of good things in there, we give it a damp lawn chair, and then if it's just, there's nothing there, like power down, reboot, throw it out, we give it a sleazy outhouse. So, Jake, with all that in mind, what would you give it? And would you recommend people see it at theaters with an audience of source? Would you give it a bag of popcorn? Um, this one had me really, really torn. I I want to give it a plush recliner, but I think I'm going to be a, a little rough and say high-end wooden seat, like a really nice polished kind of wooden seat. I wanted to like it more than I did, honestly. And it's not a bad movie by any means. Um, it's certainly a good movie. I don't know. It's, I was hoping for a little bit more. I really liked the first one a lot, so I was hoping for a little bit more. Um, and I think the reviews got me a little bit too. The reviews were really high, higher than I expected. So I went in pretty excited and I left satisfied, but not anything great. Um, so high end wooden seat. I'd say plus recliner. It's a very, you know, like the first one, it's very visually pleasing. And if you get a good audience, it could be really fun. There are some good fun gags with Disney and some fun moments. So I would say bag of popcorn. It's worth seeing in theaters if you, uh, if you want to catch it. Um, but overall just high end wooden seat. I wasn't over the moon about it. Nate. I'm also going to go wooden seat on this one. Uh, I feel like the humor and the characters saved this movie, but it didn't hit the same emotional depth as the first one did until the end. And then it felt kind of rushed when it did. Agreed. Um, so the humor keeps the movie entertaining and the visual references when they appear are great, but then you're just reference the movie and that isn't strong enough to get to plush recliner on my end. I like this universe, if you will. I like these characters. But I just felt like this was overall mostly serviceable. Some really cool directions, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if this is like the last Ralph movie because I don't really know where they go from here, if I'm being honest. I agree. Yeah. So definitely a recommendation. Um, You can definitely see this one in theaters, Bag of Popcorn. There are some really great jokes, especially the the post credit scene that I feel like... I was happy I caught that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that definitely play better with a crowd. Um, highly recommend that you go see it there. At least experiments with other people. But overall, more safe and fun movie than like heart-wrenching and powerful like the first one was to me. I think the emotional core worked a little bit better for me. Um, I just feel like the actual overall message, which we'll, again, we'll get into in like a minute or two, uh, struck a good chord with me, and I, it like it was something that surprised me that this movie touched on, and I think I got to give Ralph Breaks the Internet a good amount of credit for that, uh, especially because I mean like there's there's clever sight gags and there's some pretty funny jokes, um, but that was the most surprising aspect to me, and I think overall it's a very valuable movie, especially for friends and family to see. I'm gonna go on the lower end of plush recliner. I think I liked it enough to give it that. It made me feel good, you know what I mean? Like watching it. It had 
all the moral center that I was looking for, but it also had like a really fun, light atmosphere that I think is worth spending time in the theater to see. So I'll give it a plus recliner. Uh, I don't really have anything funny to say for this one. I had plus recliner with a joystick on it so you could play video games, but that makes it sound like a royal throne. So I don't want to yeah, do that. Yeah. That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Like it's it's a plus recliner, but your Game Boy is about to die. Ah, that's a good one. Oh, that's good. I should like I should make you write these for me. Uh, so anyway, just to kind of wrap it up, we're gonna go into our spoiler section here. If you have not seen Ralph breaks the internet, there's really not too too much to spoil. But I think there's a couple things that we'll touch on that you probably don't want to know going in. If you have seen it or just don't care about spoilers, come into our spoiler section. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert! So guys, there's a really interesting line about two-thirds of the way, maybe a little bit less than two-thirds of the way, that Shank, played by again, played by Gal Gadot, um, says to Vanellope, where she says, best friends don't have to have the same dream. And I think it's the idea that you can love someone so much and you can have affection and care about someone so much, but at the same time, you can drift apart and that doesn't mean you love them any less. You know? Like, that's a very deep thing for someone young to hear. Like, because you, like, when you're growing up, you have your best friends that you have all the time. And those people are not necessarily the same friends that you have 20 years down the road. And this movie preaches that that's okay because you'll always have those time that time that you spent together and you'll always have that time. You know, you're, it, that person's not going to be lost from your life. You've grown to be a better person because of that. Uh, and the movie challenges that in an interesting way by targeting Ralph's insecurities and making it like very literal at points. And we can get into the big climax in a moment. But overall message, what did you guys think? I was I was a fan. I, I actually think um... – the message was the reason I was kind of torn between Plus Recline and Royal Throne. I think the execution could have been better. But the message overall was really good. I was surprised that they went with such a mature message, kind of like Nate said earlier. Because um, it definitely is. It's a mature message that I feel like people don't really learn until they're older. You know, because you don't have these deep, developed friendships until you're older because it's how life works. You don't have enough time. <laughs> um, but it's it's definitely an important one that a lot of people don't always learn or don't always learn fast. And... It's a, a unique one, and I, I liked it a lot. I really, really enjoyed the message. I'm glad they they tackled it, and I think they overall tackled it well. Like toward the end, when they're on a phone, when they you know talk to each other and say, "I'll see you in a few months" or whatever, um, I think that was really good. I didn't necessarily love how quick it came and went um, in the third act specifically. Mm-hmm. It just kind of like all of a sudden happened abruptly, and then was resolved semi quickly. I think, but overall, I think the message is. Uh, really good and it's important to you know understand that and not be overprotective of your friends and not let your like they they literally tackle ralph's insecurities which is what breaks the internet right um yeah and they literally tackle it but it's i get so torn i think that's important like his insecurities is what ends up being his downfall which is real life stuff but the way they structured it it's all kind of packed into the third act and it just kind of feels a little crammed yeah for me it gets too literal if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It does get a little too literal. But they might have needed that for kids to understand. Right. I don't know. So I overall, I really like the message. I really like that direction. It's just the execution I think could have been better. Yeah. I'll elaborate what I mean by that in a second. But first, Nate, what did you think overall the message? I definitely like the originality and almost like the underreporting that this type of lesson is in a kid's movie. It's 
like I said earlier, it's not something that you would think to tell a kid at that age, assuming you're around 10 when you're seeing this movie. Um, just because your friends haven't moved away yet. Right. Like, this isn't something that most most kids need to deal with. This is something like when you're you're an adult and your friends are trying to achieve different things and moving to different places. I think my criticisms, uh, kind of like what Jake said, it just happens kind of all at once toward the end um, and comes very abruptly, in my opinion. Especially just how quickly Vanellope seems to make up her mind about the whole thing and doesn't really include Ralph in her conversations of this is what I want to do before that. Right. Uh, the whole uh, insecurity thing when he gets cloned by the bot just starts going off before they've had an official conversation about what I want to do because all Ralph has done at that point was eavesdrop. Well, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Because she was just absent from the last half of his viral video phase. Just kind of like exploring the internet on her own. And kind of leaving Ralph on his own to get the rest of the money for the wheel. So I I just feel like that wasn't a grown-up way to handle getting to the final conflict. Like, have the conversation. Have a natural conversation. You can even have them fall out because Ralph's insecure at this point. Yeah, he does a really bad thing too. Like, really yeah. bad. He, he does a bad thing. Absolutely. But it, it just felt so one-sided because uh, the whole movie up to that point felt like a little bit of Vanellope's movie. And then all of a sudden we just pivoted to Ralph and Ralph acting on his own. I think I think I slightly disagree with you guys on how they set the stuff up because I think I think it is a conflict that's set up early. Like we see how much Ralph just enjoys going through the day-to-day routine. He's finally achieved what he was looking for in the first film, which is some like a friend. He's achieved, like, a sense of normalcy, and he feels like a part of a group. And Vanellope, that's just not how she's wired. They very much set up she's bored with the routine, uh, even though Ralph is completely okay with it. Um, I Mm. do agree that, like, they lay it on thick late. Um, Yeah, like, I know they they plant seeds a little bit. Like, even after the car chase in Slaughter Race, he's like, no way you ever go back there again. Like, that's crazy. You can't do that. And he tries to destroy it. You know, to prevent her from getting hurt or whatever. It gets really literal, and I understand what they were trying to do. It's partially playing on his insecurities of the whole situation. It's also trying to say something about toxic masculinity and how that can that can be. And, and it all manifests into a literal monster that they have to fight at the end. And that was the whole thing yeah. that I was like, okay, this is too much. Like, I wonder if that was literal for the younger audiences, but I was just kind of like, ugh. I mean... Not that I can think it off the top of my head, but there are better ways to do that. Right. Uh, I mean, I like how it becomes a Vanellope and Ralph story, but I did miss the other characters. Like, Felix is not in this movie at all. Oh, my yeah. God. Neither is Calhoun. That, I think that like, is actually a huge thing. We're missing a lot of the other really fun characters. Right. I didn't want them to crowbar them in in a stupid way, but it seems like they're setting them up for, like, a subplot, and then they disappear for an hour. We didn't get any of their parenting arc, which exactly. I think they were going for. Like, right. everything right, right. is off camera with them. But again... <laughs> That's a that's another thing that feels like it doesn't really belong in a kids movie. Kids don't need to learn how to be parents, <laughs> right? Or like adoptive parents. Too. Yeah, I'm, yeah like, I'm wondering if there was if there was more there, and then what you just said, Nate. They were like, "This doesn't have to be here." They cut it. Just off. I I feel like they struggled with what audience they wanted to cater to the most in this movie. Could be. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. I think it's yeah. just. I think that's what it is. It's not as well structured as the first one. It's not as direct and sure. 
it's not as tightly written and it's not as universal as a message because everyone watching this is seeing different layers of the movie. Yeah. When the first one, everyone can learn from. I do think it matches it as terms of like fun and in terms of like creativity as far as like gags and stuff goes. And I think like yes. I think I mean, the big set piece everyone's talking about is the princess scene. And I know we saw bits and pieces of it in the trailer. But I think that's just a clever way to integrate those characters into the story and kind of, you know, Vanellope is her own form of a princess, but they're completely different. You see how they interact. It's just kind of, it's a it's a little cute, clever thing. It felt like... Oh, I just remembered. Um, one part that really made me laugh was uh, they're like, they ask her if she's ever sung, sang a song about what she wants. And she was like, what do you mm-hmm. mean? And I, I don't really follow. And she, yeah. they're like, well, if you want to sing a song about what you want, you usually get it, but you have to stare at an important body of water first. Yeah. And then they all went down the line of what they look at, and I was like, that's actually really funny. That's mm-hmm. a very funny, self-aware joke that they have. And I love the payoff to that with the musical number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, I did like that I want to talk about this one. I feel like this movie was pitched on just that musical number. I can see that. Because that was yeah. hilarious. That was really good, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, on the writer end, they that was the very first scene they wrote, and then they structured the rest of the movie to figure out how to get to that point. Because that was hilarious. I was cracking up. Right. I like how the movie addressed how awful comment sections can be by making it like an emotional scene. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those guys were pretty nice. They were pretty nice to Ralph, though. I was expecting some, any, like, much worse. I mean, I wasn't expecting worse, but you know what well, I mean. Well, because they still <laughs> got to keep it PG for the kids. So, like, exactly. calling like, Ralph annoying and the worst and hating him is pretty hard for a 10-year-old to hear. Yeah. Whereas yeah. opposed to what actually is going on in the internet right now. Right. Like, yeah. I wonder if... It was a missed opportunity to not have, like, personal messages and, like, cyberbullying integrated into that at all. That's about as much as they touched on cyberbullying, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I'm not saying it would have worked. Just popped my head there. Right, because we don't want to get crowded like Fantastic Beasts either. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Also true. Hate to bring that up again. It's all right. I thought it was funny. It was an amusing scene, and it kind of kicks off a lot of the rest of the plot where they go to the auction at eBay and they just don't understand the idea of bidding. Yeah, yeah, and they yeah, just, yeah. The price I like that just too. keeps driving up. That was cute. Like, stuff yeah, like that. I it's like, that a, like I said, it's an internet for dummies movie. It's for, and I shouldn't say dummies, internet for kids, I should say. The p- kids mm-hmm. that are just learning what the internet is. Yeah. No, you're right. I got to kick out of that also. Because you know the person bidding was a real human. So all of a sudden they're going to like $20,000. And the person's like, what? For a, yeah, for a toy mean? steering wheel. Like, <laughs> Who is this guy? Bidding twenty seven thousand dollars for this thing. Buy a new candy rush machine. <laughs> yeah, <at that point. laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, just buy another yeah. system. That that did make me laugh. I'm glad they got that post credit scene in there somewhere because I that was one of my favorite things from the trailer. Oh, the first one. You mean the yeah. first one? Yeah, the where he mm-hmm. murders that bunny. <laughs> I literally turned to the person I saw it with and said that wasn't in the movie. And then lo and behold, that scene showed up. Yeah, and it addressed that whole thing. That was. Very meta of yeah. Disney, yeah. and it worked. <laughs> a- Andrew, did you base your lobby talk off of the post credit scene slash um, Ralph's, like, monster at the end? I was just – I was thinking Disney in general. I had Disney on the mind gotcha. from Ralph Breaks – I mean, like, from this movie and the Lion King trailer. Because and- when I saw the post credit scene and the rabbit literally pops, I was like, oh, ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was hilarious. I was looking forward to that scene. I'm glad it got in there. Um, we should start wrapping up soon, I think. Yeah, I think we covered our bases here. Nate, you want to start with final thoughts? Sure. I'm happy this movie didn't do a generic sequel, because uh, this is this is anything but. It explores a completely different world, takes characters we already learned from the first one, and does very different things with them. The humor holds up, the references hold up. 
and the movie is overall solid. I think I was just looking for the emotional weight that the first one had, and that's the only thing that really disappointed me in this one. Um, still a hearty recommendation for me. At the very least, you will laugh, and at most, you'll really enjoy the unique message and the kind of mature message that this animated movie has. So, overall, Ralph Breaks the Internet didn't break my heart. <laughs> it did good. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, go ahead. Um... Yeah, I feel like I was a little down on it overall in this review. Um, it's not a bad movie. I, I did like it. I did enjoy it. I would recommend it for sure. I was just slightly disappointed. I was hoping for a little bit better, but it's still creative. It's still fun. It still makes you laugh, certainly. Um, and Nate brought up a good point. It's not generic at all. Like It doesn't stay in the video game and focus on video games being irrelevant. It goes to a whole different world, which is really good and really important. And I think besides being funny, it's really good message at the end is really strong. And, you know... All things considered, even though I think it could have been better, I was hoping for better, it's still a good movie, and I would still definitely recommend seeing it if you haven't. I think the movie is a victim of high expectations for me because Wreck-It Ralph, the original Wreck-It Ralph, is probably top 10, 15 favorite Disney movies. This probably cracks top 25, I would say. It's a good sequel. It's like a little bit of a letdown, but not really because I still really enjoyed myself watching it. I thought it was really sweet, earnest, had a really good message. It's fun that it's funny. It does everything that you ostensibly want out of a Thanksgiving holiday movie for all families. I liked it. I thought it was good. I definitely recommend it. It's not one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, it's probably not even my favorite animated movie of the year, but I would still recommend it to all families that are looking for a treat this holiday season. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Middle Seeds Podcast. Before we go, Nate Longarini, where can they find us on the internet? And will they find Ralph there? <laughs> all right. Here's how you can get in touch with us without breaking the internet. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on both SoundCloud and iTunes. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. We are at a little bit of a loss about what the next review is going to be. It's most likely going to be one of the big Oscar contenders. It might be Green Book. It might be The Favorite. It's most likely going to be Green Book. Hollywood takes a couple weeks off after Thanksgiving, and Wreck-It Ralph and Creed 2 gave us something to do. So bear with us. We will see some kind of prestige picture. We'll have a review for you, and then we'll get right back into the swing of the holiday season because then like 90 movies come out in the span of three weeks, and we'll have to figure it out from there. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Middle Seeds Podcast. For Nay Lungarini and Jake Hensler, I'm Andrew Oje. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon. <laughs>